the challenges I think with with the um, with some of the diabetes education programs is that um, very very geared towards uh, people that are on medication. At that time, they were teaching from uh, you know Canada Health Guide, which was pretty outdated. Um, you know, teaching people to eat five six times a day. Um, the thing that I thought was most backwards, though, you know, was you would measure the amount of carbohydrate you're eating and then calculate how much insulin you were going to take. And, and, and that's kind of an interesting one, right? Because you stop and you think about it and it's like, but do I need to eat that carbohydrate? Um, and, you know, is there any downside in terms of taking insulin? And, and, and I think that that's kind of has been the blind spot kind of in, in the traditional education approach. Uh, it's been very much geared around glycemic control um, and using medications for glycemic control. And, and really kind of this big, you know, I think the thing that was really missing from that was the, you know, you can do a lot more uh, by changing the, you know, the nutrient pattern. Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. I'm so excited to have Brendan Byrne, Dr. Brendan Byrne, MD, on our show today because Dr. Byrne is revolutionary in what he does. Like he went to med school, he did all of this incredible studying, like thousands of other doctors do across the globe, but he's taken it a step further and he built the wellness garage. And that is what today's podcast is here to share with you. All about the wellness garage that's in beautiful British Columbia, Canada. And the wellness garage is known for many things working with patients to reverse type two diabetes. Yes, type two diabetes can be reversed. And so definitely if you have type two diabetes, you can work with us, but definitely please reach out to Dr. Brendan Byrne and you can work with his team at the Wellness Garage. Another thing that they help you do is they just help you build better habits around nutrition, exercise, sleep, stress tolerance, relationships, and finding your purpose in life. Like. What MMDs do you go see when you go see your GP? Do they ask you about your purpose? Do you feel like you're living your purpose? Do you feel like you are sleeping well? How do you tolerate stress? And we know that when you eat better, you sleep better. When you sleep better, you love better. When you love better, you are more resilient to all the stressors in life. And your whole entire life just improves. It keeps getting better and better and better. So at the Wellness Garage, you are not just going for a seven and a half minute appointment. You are going to get a full transformation health makeover in all areas of your life. You also will learn how to take control of your health so that you never have to hand that control over to somebody else who's going to say that you have to live with that chronic disease for the rest of your life. This is your diagnosis. You're going to be on meds for life. Sorry, this is just all part of getting older. All the silly excuses that so many doctors tell their patients that are simply not true. Another thing that I love about the Wellness Garage is they work on sustainable weight management, which means that you get to lose the weight and actually keep it odd off versus so many fad diets out there, you actually gain more of the weight back within 12 months of doing the cleanse or the diet. Now, relieving osteoarthritis is another thing that the Wellness Garage is known for. And their other program that they offer, which I just think is amazing. And thank you for doing this, Brendan Byrne at the Wellness Garage. But it is helping 
RCMP officers and members help with weight loss, with nutrition, with fitness, with lifestyle optimization, with reducing blood pressure and cholesterol, um, reversing heart disease, all of those wonderful things. And that's a year long multidisciplinary program. So as you can see, this is why we have Dr. Brendan Byrne, MD on our show today to share all of these beautiful things. I am gonna leave it up to the podcast itself to um, share with you everything that you need to know. Before we jump in, I just wanna let you know that we are gonna be launching another Get Off Your Fat Ass program. That's gonna be launching in October because the last program was such a hit. It was so much fun to teach. We had so many incredible transformations that took place from all the people who were part of the program. And just so you know, when we talk about your fat ass and getting off your fat ass, what we mean is that you are fabulous. You are amazing. You are authentically you and you have the power to transform your life. So it's F-A-A-A-F-A-A-T. And um, and it was just an exciting program to teach. So definitely look out on our social media, our emails, our websites to know about that. So you can sign up, uh, learn how to set a BHAG, learn how to eat better, how to sleep better, how to poop better, how to get your uh, menstruation, you know, issues under control so you don't have to suffer from PMS and then how to go out there and achieve your goals, how to... Um, go out there and start running and biking and doing all the activities that you have not been doing because you know what you're just so lethargic or maybe in pain or you just can't get started and this is what I'll get uh, but this is what get off your fat ass is about it's about getting you motivated and actually eating better actually moving your body so that you can realize that amazing person that you already are. So hook up with us so that you know when we're going to be launching that next program. And let's dive into this podcast. And you also know what to do. Please share this show with everyone and anyone that you know can benefit from the amazing work that Dr. Brendan Byrne is doing at the Wellness Garage. See you at the end. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. Really excited today to have Dr. Brendan Byrne on our show as he is going to fill you up with a wealth of knowledge all about reversing metabolic diseases, particularly diabetes and more. So let's dive right in. Welcome, Dr. Brendan Byrne to the Eat Real to Heal show. Welcome. Um, it's nice to be here and uh, looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, definitely myself as well. Um so you are a, a medical practitioner. You studied uh, medicine at McGill, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, back, back in the day. Back in the day, sciences and at Yale University? Yes. Yeah, nice. And, you know, when you were in medical school, did you ever imagine that you'd be here today where you are doing the work you're doing at the Wellness Garage? No, I, I, I can't say that this is what I set out to do. Um, and in fact, my, my career has been, been a little bit different than most in that uh, I, shortly after finishing my training um, and going out to practice, I went down a, a whole detour around electronic medical records, started a company, built a company, became, uh, became an executive at, at, a, at a telco after selling my company. <laughs> Um, became a chief innovation officer and, and finally kind of in 2017 um, 
you know, really kind of 17 years after starting practice, uh, uh, you know, we came back to, to, to practice and, um, and I was very fortunate because I, I had options. And, and so I, I had uh, lots of work that I was doing in digital health, but I really wanted to get back to medicine. And, and I thought, well, what, what type of practice would I set up if I had a choice? Because I did have that choice. And, and I looked at it and, and I, I felt very strongly that um, we needed to do something different in primary care and something more upstream where the root causes for many chronic diseases lie. And, and that's really in lifestyle. And so we opened Wellness Garage back in, well, three years ago now, in, in April 2018. Um, and you, when you walk into our clinic, it's a, it's a big gym space and there's a plant-based uh, cafe up front um, and a meditation room in the back. And, and then tucked away in, in a corner is, is a single exam room that looks like a, yeah, a typical doctor's office. Everything else is is really built around the lifestyles. And, um, and that was just really our big insight was, you know, let's, um, let's do what we can do uh, at the lifestyle behavior level to, you know, really get at that root cause and try to prevent disease. Uh, and as I got more and more into it, realizing reverse disease, that was, that was on the table. And so that's, that's what we've been doing. That's incredible. And, you know, as you're telling your story, I can see the progression happening, but I imagine, you know, was there a pivotal moment for you where you just knew that you wanted to do things differently? Like, was there a, a particular story or documentary or book or, you know, what was the turning point for you? So I, you know, one of the, the turning points for me was back when, so when I, when I ran my EMR company, I always practiced a day a week at, at a local clinic. And um, so I kept my hand and kept my license going, um, tried to keep current. Um, but in that context, I would see people uh, just, you know, 10 minute visits as, as is pretty common in, in primary care. And I remember seeing somebody, you know, I think she was like a 58 year old woman. And I remember she was on 12 medications. She was diabetic. She was measuring her sugars a few times a day. When I saw her, her results weren't great. And, and really kind of the, the, you know, she was really just getting worse, right? And, um, and she was doing everything we asked. She was taking 12 medications a day. She was measuring her blood sugars two to three times a day. Um, she was showing up for her doctor's appointments, but clearly this wasn't helping her, right? And so, um, so I looked at her and, and I was, you know, talked to her a little bit around the nutrition part and, and, you know, she had gone and, and done the diabetes education at the local hospital, um, but it didn't make a lot of sense to her and she didn't really know how to apply that. And she had, you know, she had a sore knee, so she couldn't exercise and she wasn't sleeping very well. It just kind of across the board, um, she needed more help. And, and I remember thinking, you know, she needs like a pit crew. She needs, you know, she needs an exercise physiologist. She needs a nutritionist or a dietitian. She, yeah, she, she needs a physician who can spend time with her. Um, yet I have 10 minutes and really all I can do is increase the dosage of her insulin to try and control her, her blood sugars better. Um, so that, that particular visit really stuck with me that this was the wrong direction. And, and, um, and in that context, I felt very powerless, right? Because I didn't have all those resources available to me. 
Um, and, and that wasn't, you know, how it was going to work. And, and I'm not going to get paid to spend an hour with her. Um, and even if I spend an hour with her, it's not going to move, you know, I'm not going to be able to, to change things. Um, so that was kind of one of the kind of the inputs for, for what we were doing here. The other input was um, I'd spent two, two to three years being the chief innovation officer at TELUS Health and spent a lot of time kind of going out on the edge and seeing kind of what, you know, what new technologies are coming to health, where we can go with, you know, precision health and personalized medicine and genomics and microbiome. And, and, and I was just really eager to say, you know, can we apply that to what we're doing? And so really when, you know, when we opened Wellness Garage, my wife, who's my co-founder, um, and uh, psychologist and clinical counselor, um, we, we really thought, you know, we were going to use precision tools and we're, but we we're going to use them upstream around lifestyle behaviors. And, and that was kind of the, the, the vision for it. Um, we didn't have a business model, so we hadn't figured that part out. Um, we really just had kind of this desire uh, to, to do it. Um, and and, and that, that's been the journey that we've been on for the last three years. So I love that you are, I have a lot more questions um, just around that too, just with that particular individual. And I'm going to come back to that, but um, let's just talk about your time at TELUS Health. And it's a question we get asked a lot because we're doing this big tour across Canada next year, which we had to postpone because of COVID, um, doing a small tour around BC as long as the restriction lifts. So we, you know, we've been talking to a lot of sponsors and everyone, every single person is like, contact TELUS Health, contact TELUS Health, um, you know, for sponsorship. And, but then the second question is like, why does TELUS Health have TELUS Health? Could you just explain that a little bit more? Like, what is the motivation for such a big telecommunications company to, to be in the health sector? Well, yeah, it's interesting because, you know, um, it was funny, my, I, I was at TELUS uh, when my 25th uh, med school reunion came up and I remember kind of a, a, a friend talking to me about it and like, you know, who, who would have thought that you would, you know, when I graduated from medical school back in 1990, who, who would have thought that you'd work, you know, for the phone company, right? Yeah. And so, so, so yeah, so it's, it's a pretty good question. But, you know, if you think about, if you think about it from the perspective of, you know, what TELUS essentially does or what a telco does is, is basically move information across time and distance and do it securely. And, and you look at kind of what we're doing in health and it's all about, it's all about the information. Increasingly, it's about information that, are, um, that patients are generating. And, uh, and so it's moving that information and connecting parts of the healthcare system. Um, so that's really, I think the impetus for it. Yeah. The, the vision to, to bring kind of, you know, um, you know, 21st century technology to, 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 to medicine and, and create those connections is, is really the drive for it. Um, and the challenge is, 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 is healthcare is a hard, uh, it's a hard space to change. It's a hard space to, to put technology into. Um, and so that's been the challenge along with it. But I think the, the promise of it has just been, you know, can we connect people? Can we help the information move more quickly? Can we put that information, that data to use in such a way that helps, helps people, helps you know, practitioners derive more insights? Um, but that's really where, where, where TELUS came, came into this. 
Yeah, that's yeah, that makes sense. And obviously doing it in a very secure way, because there's always so many breach, you know, anything we put anything, anytime we put anything digitally, then there's always the risk of that. So yeah, having obviously like one of the best of the best telecommunications company manage that is it's probably the right, um, right thing to do. Um, thanks for bringing insight into that, because I've been curious about it as well. Um, now let's go back to this, you know, 50 plus year old woman who um, when you mentioned the nutrition part, now, when you were, you know, trying to talk to her about nutrition and knowing that she had taken, uh, the diabetes nutrition program, um, that's offered was your vision of nutrition, your understanding and knowledge and science, the same as what she had learned, or, you know, had you already arrived in this space where you, you kind of understood that the nutrition is a little bit different than what is the standard you know, um, you know, within the standard education programs and in Canada, a little bit different than the States, but sometimes not too much. Like I often see on the diabetes websites, they're like beef stroganoff and, you know, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, still tons of refined foods, lots of fats, lots of oils and sugars and, um, you know, and, and, you know, and often the wrong messaging around food that is often I find not as based in biochemistry as it could be. Um, and so, and mostly often based on macronutrients versus micronutrients. So I'm curious, you, you know, what is it that you would have wanted to teach this woman? Did you teach this woman? Yeah, and, and I think to be fair, um, I probably know a whole lot more now than, than I did at that point in time. Um, but, you know, the, the, the challenges I think with, with the, um, with some of the diabetes education programs is that um, very very geared towards uh, people that are on medication. At that time, they were teaching from, uh, you know, Canada Health Guide, which was pretty outdated, um, you know, teaching people to eat five, six times a day. Um, the thing that I thought was most backwards though, you know, was you would measure the amount of carbohydrate you're eating and then calculate how much insulin you were going to take. And, and, and that's kind of an interesting one, right? Because you stop and you think about it and it's like, but do I need to eat that carbohydrate? Um, and, you know, is there any downside in terms of taking insulin? And, and, and I think that that's kind of has been the blind spot kind of in, in the traditional education approach. Uh, it's been very much geared around glycemic control um, and using medications for glycemic control. And, and really kind of this big, you know, I think the thing that was really missing from that was the, you know, you can do a lot more uh, by changing the, you know, the nutrient pattern. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, where I first really kind of dove into this was uh, starting to look at the low carb movement and, and what people were doing with low carb and ketogenic diets and, and how, how that was working for people. And, uh, and what made sense there. Um, and I come to, came to that world on the background of, you know, being, you know, pescatarian for 30 years and, um, and, and believing in kind of whole food approaches um, and probably much more aligned from a, you know, from a probably an ethical and environmental standpoint with, with plant-based medicine. Um, but the, the low carb uh, movement, ketogenic movement um, really had some, like there was a lot that made sense from the standpoint in terms of, you know, if you reduce the amount of carbohydrate in the diet, you reduce the amount of insulin that your body needs to generate to store that carbohydrate. 
Um, so that part was pretty straightforward. Um, what what I subsequently found over the years has just been, um, you know, and, and it's I mean it's interesting because they, you know, if you if you spend any time on Twitter, um, it gets it's very uh, very tribal. Um, you know, you've got kind of your low carb keto zealots and you've got your plant based zealots, and they don't see the world uh, the same. They don't see the same world, that's for sure. No. Um, but if you're a practical person just trying to help somebody in your exam room. Um, you really do see the co common ground and, and the common ground actually comes back to it's really about the ultra processed foods that people are eating. Um, you know, it's very, very rare that I'm worried about the carbohydrate in a chickpea for a person with diabetes. Exactly. Um, yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's often like, okay, there's, there's a lot of sugar and there's a lot of flour and there's a lot of refined carbohydrates ahead of that chickpea carb that I'm worried about. Um, and so, you know, our, our approach really, you know, actually, you know, just took, took off from that, which was, you know, if we can help people just start to eat whole foods and learn how to, you know, uh, learn how to make whole foods. And, um, and as you do that, what you start doing is you, you, you tend to start nudging, uh, you'll nudge people a little bit towards more, you know, eating more plants and making sure that they're getting more veg. Uh, making sure they're getting the benefits of fiber um, and, you know, and reducing those refined carbohydrates. That's kind of been the, 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 the biggest part of our approach. What we've seen kind of in the, the blind spots that we saw in the low carb approach was um, you could, you could definitely eat low carb and eat really healthy, right? So there's no question you can kind of do, do everything really well. And you can, you can do it plant-based as well. There's no, you know, it's just harder, but people can do that. Um, but often that wasn't what people were doing, right? So people come in going, I'm doing keto and yeah, I'm going to Wendy's and I'm, I'm getting lettuce instead of the bun. And um, so I'm not eating very high quality food. And, and, uh, and really, as we started to, you start to, to peel that back, the blind spot I find from the low carb movement has really just been, you know, are you getting enough fiber and are you benefiting from all the things that fiber can do in terms of helping your metabolic health? And, um, and so, so that's, you know, often when I'm working with people that are, that are, that, you know, that's the way they want to eat. It's, it's really just trying to help them make sure they don't have a blind spot to it. Um, the flip side of it on the plant-based side is, is, is often because we're, we're, you know, we're defining it by the fact that we're not eating meat and we're eating, you know, and, and so it's, so it's a bit weird, you know, sometimes you see people and it's, it, that's, you know, and may, maybe they're coming at it from an ethical and environmental perspective and it's, you know, I'm not eating meat. Um, but sometimes there's fillers within the diet of a lot of refined carbohydrates and a lot of processed foods that really are, are not helping. And so, um, so I found kind of over the years, um, you know, I've, I've been in, in low carb uh, kind of groups with physicians where I, I'm the only one that seems to be worried about fiber and, 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 kind, of, and kind of nutritional quality. And I've been in plant-based groups where, you know, it's, it's only about, you know, the purity of whether it's plant-based. And I find myself a little bit like stuck between the two groups. And, um, but there's now, you know, you, you're starting to see people going, you know, hang on a second. There's a lot of common ground here. And, and maybe if we actually just focus on, on you know, uh, eating whole foods and high quality foods and thinking about where our food comes from, you know, then we can do a lot better here. 
Um, and that's the message that I actually, I think works with people, right? Like it's, um, if you just nudge people that direction, it really makes a big difference. Yeah, no. And I like what you said about, I find with, um, my clients, you know, my clients come to you and they've hit their rock bottom or what they think their rock bottom is. Often it means like they're going to be put on a drug or they've been on their drugs for so long and that, you know, disease is still progressed and now it's leading to surgery and, you know, they're often afraid of the surgery, you know, especially when it comes to diabetes, you know, we're talking about things like blindness and amputations and um, a lot of my clients have cancer and autoimmune diseases that are very advanced. And so for them, they're just like, tell me how to do it. And it's, I always find it's really easy. I'm like, we're going to put you fully on plant-based whole food. You know, it's, you know, when you go grocery shopping, you go in the store, if it has more than one ingredient, then just don't buy it. And then, you know, that seems to be the most helpful for them because they're like, well, I can only buy potatoes and yams and squash and broccoli and cauliflower and things like this. I'm like, yeah, just do that. And so it tends to be pretty um, cut and dry for them. Like when you do that, when it's, you know, fully whole foods, plant-based, um, or even if they were to add, you know, if they are pescatarian, or, you know, if they want to have, um, you know, some, you know, animal-based product, but in most cases, what they find is by eating the whole food, they're so satiated and their cravings are gone and, you know, they feel so good and they have energy. And then all of a sudden it's pretty quick, but it's been interesting because over the, you know, 15 years that I've been doing this, um, you know, a lot of my clients have said like, why didn't my doctor just tell me that, you know? And so I'm always curious when I meet a physician like yourself that managed to navigate your way into this world and figure out a way to work with patients, but you've set up a very different model than, you know, if we have physicians listening to this right now, I can imagine what they're saying. Like, there's no way that I can teach patients to do this, but we still only have seven and a half minute appointments, 10 minute appointments. Right. So, so tell me about your model, because I'm sure there's going to be physicians that are really curious about this. Like, you know, how does this model work financially for the patient? How does it work financially for you um, that you could be successful as a physician and help people, but be able to give them the time that they need? So can you right. describe that model a bit more? So, so we've done a couple of things. Um, one is, um, we've tried to set ourselves up as a resource for other physicians. So, um, so we don't do primary care. So we don't take on the primary care. Um, we, we, we will see people, uh, other physicians will refer their patients to us for lifestyle medicine consults. Um, and we will evaluate, um, we'll essentially evaluate kind of how they're doing. So we've developed something called a wellness quotient. Um, which asks about 130 different questions and scores them and gives you scores across behaviors, kind of across the, the key six pillars of behavior, uh, as well as scoring you across a, a number of different symptom categories. Um, so it gives you kind of, a, it helps us understand kind of what a person's doing, their behaviors and, and how they're feeling their symptoms um, in a very standardized way so that we can compare over time. Um, we do a bunch of blood work and biomarkers to, to look at metabolic health and to look at kind of all aspects of health. Uh, and then we put all, we put all that together. Um, and so we put that together in a lifestyle medicine assessment that, um, you know, uh, really formats that information in such a way that, um, they, you know, they, they're able to make the connection between kind of what they're doing and their behaviors 
um, you know, how they're feeling on their symptoms, what their biomarkers are showing. Uh, and then we land on, on kind of an action plan of what kind of changes can you make? You know, what are the, what are the things that you could take that will improve things? Um, and so we really start from that kind of perspective of trying to understand where, where exactly somebody is across their whole health and, uh, and then guiding them in terms of what they're currently doing uh, and guiding them towards better. Um, we tend not to be super prescriptive. So we tend not to be, thou must do it this way. Um, we try to work with people kind of where they are. Uh, we like to build off of strengths. So um, when they have really good strengths, it's like, okay, great, let's, let's, let's do that, let's extend that. Um, so, so we do these assessments, we do them kind of uh, get, get referrals uh, to do them and, and we've streamlined the process um, and our informatics um, so that we can, we can deliver the, you know, this, this comprehensive report it, within the constraints of the time that, that's involved. So yeah, so one of the concepts that we, we've, we've really been working on, actually, I mean, it's probably been a COVID thing that really pushed us is, you know, we had to do all this virtual care and, and it was this flip, you know, flip the exam room. So in, in education, teachers have realized, you know, it makes no sense to spend 40 minutes delivering a lecture, send the kids home to do homework on their own, where they're going to have all the questions. So why not send them home with a 40 minute video that they watch bring them in the classroom to do the homework where they can ask questions, right? Like totally, yeah. um, totally makes sense, especially with the fact that we all have devices that we can watch videos on. So, um, so one of the things that we've done with, with our assessments is we've, we've, we've flipped it. So, so um, you know, you fill out the, the wellness quotient, we've got the lab data, we put all that together. Our first visit, um, I've got all the data, I, I've got everything, you know, that's, kind of what I'm going to measure, um, my first visit is kind of getting to know you and, you know, what makes, you know, what makes you tick um, and what's important to you and, and kind of those pieces that are harder to kind of, you know, put in a, in a standardized questionnaire. So getting, you know, figuring out the person behind the data. Um, and then what I do is, is I actually send that report to you and, you know, it's a 13 page detailed report. Um, with little links that you can watch videos and kind of download kind of materials from. Uh, it's kind of like a self-guided self journey through your health. Um, and then the next visit is, okay, let's ask, you know, answer questions, right? Like what questions do you have? Um, and so really trying to maximize the time that we have together so that it's interactive and there's a dialogue uh, and it's human time. And then trying to take everything else and just kind of automate it uh, in such a way that, you know, you know, if, you know, you don't need to have me try to cram a, a 20 minute explanation of insulin resistance into five minutes, um, just watch the video and then come back and, and we can talk about it. So that's kind of been, been one of the concepts that, that has allowed us to do this. Um, the other thing that we've done is, is we've really, um, really kind of taken off with group medical visits. So um, we'll have people, uh, and these are funded by uh, you know, they're funded in BC by MSP. So people will, will come in and, and, and again, they're delivered now with COVID, they're delivered via Zoom. So we'll get 25 people um, at all varying stages of diabetes, learning about insulin resistance and diabetes reversal all in, in, in that session. Um, 
And so that's great because you can explain stuff and then somebody will ask a question, you know, somebody will invariably ask the question that everybody wants to ask, right? Yeah. And, and people learn that way. Uh, and then as, the, as these groups go on, people start to, you know, like in, 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 in a few weeks, you know, people are, are realizing that they're, you know, they're, they're losing weight, they're feeling better, they're, you know, got more energy and their glucose is coming under control. And so they start to find their path within that. Um, so that's been kind of the, the, the medical side. We've actually been able to try to keep it within the medical system and even within the time constraints of what you get paid as a primary care doctor to do those things. Um, we've built a bunch of supports around it though. So we have an exercise physiologist, a couple of nutritionists, a dietitian, uh, clinical counselor. Um, so those parts are not covered by MSP because they're not funded that way. And, and people who need extra support pay for that extra support. Um, but our philosophy has been, you know, the information we share. And so if you go on our website, there's just a ton of information that we share. And we've got, you know, guides that, um, in fact, some of our, my colleagues will use these guides. Like we've got an eat better guide. It's like 34 page guide on, on eating um, and just, just kind of how to think about nutrition that will be, you know, my colleagues will, will send patients to download that and, you know, have a look at that. So, so again, kind of resource to the community. Um, so we really believe the information is, is free. You know, we didn't invent the science, you know, it's, it's not like, you know, I'm not sitting in a lab figuring this out. I'm just taking and synthesizing other people's work. Um, so we want to share that. And, and really kind of what the people will pay for is support and, and it's okay. You know, some people can take the information and run with it. Other people need a lot of support to actually apply it to their own lives. Um, and so, so those programs, we, we built a variety of programs that, you know, have, have that whole team. So back to that kind of person in the exam room, um, you know, really what we're now done is we've built that pit crew. And so, that person, you know, if they came into the garage, we'd be able to help them. And so we'd be able to, you know, work with them and understand why their knee was hurting and give them some exercises that can improve uh, their pain and function with osteoarthritis. You know, we can work with them, you know, one-on-one -on -one around their nutrition and try to understand kind of, you know, is it a knowledge gap? Is it a skill gap? Is it an environment issue? You know, what's getting in the way of them, them, you know, eating uh, a healthy in a healthy pattern. Um, and then we can give them, you know, the framework of our four plus two strategy around diabetes reversal. Um, but give them to that, you know, give them that in the context of their own data. So they actually know exactly where I am on that pathway. Um, and what I need to do to improve and, and reverse. Yeah, that's incredible. I love this model. And um, yeah, the flip the exam room is brilliant. Um, you know, and we, there's a lot of similarities in the way we work. We work one-on-one -on -one or in groups or retreat settings. And it's the same thing. I tend to find the retreat settings are the best because we're together for three days and everybody gets to get their hand into the food and chop yeah. food and vegetables. And a lot of people don't even know what they're chopping and what they're, you know, preparing because they've never actually even seen a whole food before. Um, and it's, you know, it always surprises me, but, you know, we're just like, okay, like this is a potato. This is what it looks like when it's not a French fry or when it's not, you know, potato flour, you know, especially for a lot of, you know, there's a lot of 
uh, vegans, you know, vegetarians, plant-based whole foodists that think that potato flour is, is okay versus eating the whole potato or the whole yam or whatever it is. Right. And yeah, group setting, I think that that is definitely uh, the, the golden ticket for a lot of people because of that community that gets developed. Like I know when our, you know, our clients leave, like they communicate with each other afterwards. So they not only have our support ongoing, but they have each other and they, you know, get together and they inspire them each other with like recipes and, you know, humans are naturally competitive too. And, you know, but also naturally want to be in community. So it kind of works really well. Um, there's the part that I love is that you are working in diabetes reversal mm. and MSP pays for it. And just recently, the Public Health Agency of Canada that's holding $22 million for diabetes management in Canada, um, they said they will not fund anything that says disease reversal. So how did you, how did this happen to come around that MSP will pay for you to do this work when the Public Health Agency of Canada is like, can't reverse diabetes and we're not going to fund anything that says it will. So I'm curious. Yeah. About this. I mean, I think, I think we're, I think we're in a moment of time where that's shifting. Right. So, um, you know, diabetes Canada just recently ran, uh, a, a, a conference around diabetes remission and diabetes reversal. Even a year ago, they wouldn't have considered that or yeah. and certainly two or three years ago, they would have said it's not really possible. Um, and, and all of this is just catching up, right? It's just catching up with, with where, um, where, I mean, it's actually catching up where, where a lot of people have been patients, right? They, people have taken control of this and, and reversed their diabetes on their own. Um, and, you know, I think one of the wonderful things, you know, there's lots that we don't like social media for, but one of the wonderful things is, is seeing people's, uh, inspirational kind of stories. And, um, and I don't care whether somebody's done it with keto or plant-based or whatever, if they've lost, you know, a hundred pounds and gotten off insulin and all medications and reversed their numbers, you know, it's a, it's a triumph and, um, and it shows you it's possible. Um, our work is, is, is largely based on Roy Taylor's work in the UK. Um, and so uh, Taylor and his uh, group, just a tour de force work um, over about 10 years, uh, a couple of big studies, counterpoint, counterbalance, and then the direct study. Um, they, they started really from the observation that, you know, we know that you can reverse type two diabetes because we've done it for a long time in bariatric surgery, right? So, you know, gastric bypass, um, you know, the first study that came out of this is 1992. So just, just like when I was just, just barely out of med school, the first study came out and it was showing 10 year remission rate of, of 90%, um, for, for people with bariatric surgery. Um, and I think now, you know, d different techniques and so on and so forth, but people landed, it's probably 60 or 70% of people of diabetics that do bariatric surgery will actually reverse their diabetes and put it into remission. So we know that you can do that, right? Um, so then the question is, is there something special about it being bariatric versus other ways of losing the weight? Um, and, and Taylor's work was just brilliant because he showed, no, it's, it's, it's all about the weight. Um, and so really, you know, what, what you need to do is, is, is if you can get the weight away and specifically what's happening is, is there's fat in the liver driving the insulin resistance process. And there's a little bit of fat in the pancreas that, 
that is often disrupting and, and, and the, the beta cells. Um, if you can get rid of that fat, the beta cells will redifferentiate back and be able to secrete insulin again. Um, and if you can get rid of the fat in the liver, you'll see the, the you know, insulin sensitivity returns to the liver uh, and the insulin resistance goes away. Um, and you know, in their primary care study, the direct study, you know, they showed 86% remission in people that who were, you know, diagnosis of diabetes within four years, not on insulin. So they were taking people that were certainly diabetic, but not uh, longstanding diabetics and not uh, on insulin yet. Um, but they, they saw this 86% remission when there was a weight loss of around 15 kilograms. Um, and so that really points the direction in terms of, you know, that there's, there's, you know, if you can get rid of the, the, the weight, um, you're, you're going to do it. We've kind of stepped into that and, and, and looked at it and said, well, let's look at all the components from a lifestyle perspective and, um, you know, and taking kind of cues from the, the low carb group, it's, it's, you know, yeah, let's, let's pay attention to the glycemic load of, uh, of the food you're eating, because, there's going to be an equal and opposite reaction in terms of how much insulin you need. So, um, you, you know, the goal is to bring down insulin levels to, 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 in, in order to reverse this process. Um, so let's, let's pay attention to that and let's eat in such a way that we don't, you know, that will lower our insulin levels. Let's make sure there's enough fiber in what you're eating. So, so really all we're saying is let's get rid of those fast carbs, those refined carbs. Let's make sure they're coming from whole foods. Let's make sure they're coming with fiber. Um, and let's make sure that, you know, each meal's got enough protein to drive satiation um, and enough fiber and, you know, an, enough veg uh, there. Um, and, and, and really, you know, being on, on the fat side, let, let's, you know, not worry about the fat, but let's make healthy choices around the types of fat and use that from a satiation factor. Um, so often kind of, you know, we, we end up really kind of coaching people around that, that first part of eating to, to lower insulin. Um, and then the second, you know, thing that we really landed on as well is, um, you know, if you think about it, when you, when you eat and you, uh, you know, eat carbohydrate, um, and, you know, generate that insulin response, 80 to 90% of that will go into the muscles. Your muscles are this great sponge for, for, for the carbohydrate that you eat in insulin resistance. What happens either through kind of being sedentary, uh, or through kind of advanced insulin resistance, um, the muscles just don't take up the glucose. And so you deliver more glucose to the liver and glucose, you know, extra glucose in the liver uh, becomes fat and it drives the, you know, it leads to more fat in the liver, which makes the insulin resistance worse. So, so really kind of making sure people are active and using their muscles and, 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 and uh, you know, are able to take advantage of the fact that they, you know, their muscles can be a big sponge and, and kind of absorb that, you know, any carbohydrate in the diet. That's kind of the, the second part of our strategy. The third part of our strategy is recognizing that if the liver is central to the insulin resistance process, then we got to make sure we're not throwing fuel on the fire. So if people are still eating things, you know, with high concentrations of fructose, you know, really from sugar, um, especially in drinks, <laughs> you know, that's just going to go to the liver and get turned into fat. So we've got to stop that. Um, alcohol, same thing, right? If, if, if we're drinking alcohol, um, that alcohol is going to get turned into fat in the liver. 
Um, and then the third one around kind of liver health ends up being back to gut health, because if you're, um, if you're having a lot of gut symptoms, um, the inflammation from your gut, you know, what, where does the blood from the gut go directly to the liver? So you're going to get inflammation in the liver, inflammation in the liver leads to fat in the liver. So, so we end up focusing kind of on the third step of the strategy we call be kind to your liver. And we kind of touch on these bases. Um, and that sets us up to the, for the fourth part of the strategy, which is we're going to restore your ability to burn fat. Because, you know, one of the things that's, I think, a big aha moment for people in our programs is when I talk to them about the fact that, you know, insulin's a storage hormone. And when your insulin levels are, you know, at a certain level, um, you cannot burn fat because insulin stops you from burning fat. Um, and people start to realize that it, they, 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 they're, they're in a one-way fat storage situation. You know, um, they can store it, but they can't lose it. Or, you know, as, as uh, I think David Ludwig says, you know, turnstile. You've got fat turnstile, right? It can go in, but it can't come out. Um, so, you know, when you do the first three things, you actually start to lower the insulin level. So you actually start getting below the level that people can actually start to flip on fat burning. Um, and so we really, really just leverage that. And, 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 um, and one of the ways that we like to leverage is just time restricted eating. And, and what happens there is the further you're away from the meal, the more likely your insulin levels are to be low anyways. Um, as you get, get a little bit further along with kind of these, these measures, what you start to find is um, you, 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 you come fairly low, your insulin level goes low enough, you can start fat burning again, your body starts to access the fat storage. Uh, and then we just extend the fast. We, we like people to start at 12 hours and then just extend it. Um, and what's and, the maximum that you would extend it to, or is there a maximum? So we, we tend to land on, uh, for most people, we tend to land to about 16 or 18 hours. Um, and, um, and the key to all of this is that it's not hard. If it's hard, it's not working, right? If it's hard, it means that you're not accessing the fat. And so, so you have to kind of be patient with that process. Some people are able to do it very quickly. Others aren't. Um, where I like to go with it is often kind of 16 hours, uh, with, you know, an eight hour eating window. Uh, and then if we're trying to have people lose weight, it's like, you know, let's do two well-constructed whole food meals during those eight hours. Um, you get all your nutrients, you get your fiber, you get enough protein. Um, you're going to feel satiated. You're going to feel you've got a good energy. Um, and, um, but you, you're going to have, a, you're going to have essentially generated a, a pretty decent calorie deficit. Uh, and you're burning fat. And so, you know, getting people to that um, becomes very sustainable because, you know, they've already learned how to kind of get their meals kind of uh, corrected in the, in the first step. Um, they're, they're active. Um, so they're, they're actually turning, you know, improving their ability to uh, absorb carbohydrate anyways, but they're also improving their ability to burn fat just from exercise we've dealt with kind of any, anything that's particularly going on in the liver. Now we can just kind of ride this and people can do this quite sustainably. Um, and so, so then that becomes, you know, the way that they start to lose weight. Um, and, and now it's, it's, you know, it gets easier because as they lose weight, they start to pull some of that fat out of the liver, the insulin resistance becomes less, which just makes the, you know, it becomes a virtuous cycle. Right. Um, so, you know, on the way up, it's this vicious cycle where, 
you know, and, and when I describe it to people, they're a little bit like, you're kidding me. So, you know, <laughs> as, my insulin, yeah, as my insulin level goes up, that means I'm going to gain fat. As I gain fat, I can't store it in the right places. So it ends up getting stored. Yeah, I store some of that in my liver and that liver fat drives up my insulin. Wait, that's a, that's a loop, right? And, and, and you get stuck on that vicious cycle. We really unravel the loop, which is, you know what, as you, as you get the insulin levels down a little bit lower, you can actually lose fat. And as you lose fat, that helps get the insulin levels lower. And so you get into this virtuous cycle. Um, and so that's the four of our four plus two. The plus two end up coming back to cortisol and, it, and just this recognition that um, if you're super stressed out and you're driving high levels of cortisol, cortisol counteracts insulin. And, um, and so, you know, it increases appetite and counteracts insulin. So it makes insulin resistance worse. So you have to deal with stress. Uh, and the same thing with lack of sleep. If you're not sleeping, you actually drive a cortisol response. And so again, and so we'll see people in our programs who um, many people don't have, you know, the plus two issues, but some people it's, that's the key issue. It's, you know, they are just maximally stressed. And unless they deal with the stress, there it's going to be very hard for them to break the other part of it um so so in it you know when we give people the strategy it's a little bit like giving them a map and, and they start to see kind of how and um and then the assessment is a little bit like the gps which is like okay where are you on this map and and how do you proceed and then we use data for feedback and so it's you start to realize that you know i'm feeling better my weight's coming down my glucose levels are improving my blood panel, my triglycerides are improving. My liver function tests are improving. This is working. And, and really what we look at is trying to get people to this sustainable path that they can do forever because they, 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 they will need to do it forever, right? Yeah. It's the number one question that most of my clients will say. They're like, so how long do I do this for? And I'm like, well, yeah. as long as you'd like to be free of your diseases and as long as you'd like to have lots of energy and as long as you'd like to, you know, try and prevent as many, you know, future conditions that, you know, people often say come with aging, but that's not true. It only comes with aging in an unhealthy way. Um, right. If you've been eating, you know, an unhealthy diet or living an unhealthy lifestyle. There's two things that I love about what you do. Number one is, you know, figuring out where the person is on the map, because that's the thing. You might have somebody who comes in who's like, I love cooking. I cook really healthy. And but they're staying up super late at night. They have stress in their life. They don't have never heard of meditation. Um, they don't know the importance of sleep. I used to be one of those people where I would just be like, I don't need sleep. And, you know, I would kickstart my adrenal system, like right at like 10 o'clock at night and do my best work until three in the morning. And and this is definitely not a way to live life um, because it does catch up with you and sleep is so important. So I would have been one of those people who right. ate really well, but for 16 years, I did not move my body. Like I, after I chased my little ones around and then they became old enough to, you know, not want to go to the park, all of a sudden I was, you know, working more behind my desk. And, and so I would have been one of the people where you would have been like, okay, let's figure out how to get movement into your life. Like, let's do a few squats or let's do like whatever it is, even just walking. Um, 
I'm obviously moving my body now to the point where I'm doing it at the levels that are probably causing more stress mm -hmm. in my body as an endurance athlete. Um, but, you know, I, I'm doing it because I'm trying to do this big thing. And, you know, eventually I'll sit in a happy place after all of this is over. I'm hoping where I move my body appropriately. And, um, you know, as, as a person could and should, I should say, I always hate to use the word should. Um, yeah, so I love the part about meeting people where they're at and you have this four plus two. So like, let's work on, you know, I, I almost see it like that wheel and, you know, you can color in the different sections of the pie chart and whatever pie chart's not colored in very much. Well, let's start there. Cause often when you really address one thing, it sometimes addresses, you know, more pieces of the pie than you'd right. think. The other part that I really love um, about your program as well is um, you had mentioned earlier, just, you know, addressing the barriers, because I think this is something that we forget when we're working with individuals is, you know, there's so many barriers that people have. Like one of the biggest barriers I find is just in the family relationship where one person is trying to get healthy, but then the rest of the family is like, we don't have to do that. Or what are you talking about? You know, you need more protein or you need more fat or you need more this or that. And yeah. Um, that's a huge barrier and individuals I find need a lot of help navigating just their relationships. And sometimes it's not the relationship in the immediate family, but I've had clients who learn how to eat well, move well, do all of this, and then they go to work and their colleagues in their work environment are almost shaming them for right. wanting to take control of their health and change their diet and eat differently. And so they're constantly questioning them and inundating them and telling, you know, you know, almost, I don't know. So, you know, almost wanting to get them off the horse. And, um, and I find that's unfortunate. So I having somebody in your corner who can help you identify your barriers and it might be financial barriers, right? We know that that is a huge barrier for a lot of Canadians. Um, we, you know, we think of us as being a very developed, wealthy country, but we have some of like, you know, the biggest levels of poverty in very wealthy communities, you know, then West Vancouver, I used to teach in a school there where the kids would come to school without food because the parents had inherited, you know, this home from their boomer families, but now they couldn't afford to pay the property taxes. Um, and, you know, a lot of them are not working and their kids don't. So they had to develop a hot lunch program in a very, you know, I would say well-to-do school in a well-to-do neighborhood. And so we have to remember all of these different barriers and having somebody in your corner who can teach you how to eat well, but also eat in an inexpensive ways is really important. So I love that your program addresses all of those things because without doing that, then you know we're not gonna see the success and, have, and, and see people actually wanna walk this path and stick to it. Cause it's not a path of like, let's hop on and then for a quick fix, it's not a quick fix solution, right? It is no. a lifestyle change. Yeah, and that's that's kind of you know where we really um, we really try to emphasize it's it's not a diet, right? You know, diets are temporary restrictions, and and so really what we're trying to do is is help people find this new lifestyle, and and um, you know um, my my wife and co-founder came up with this model around you know. It's, it's knowledge, skills, you know, environment, and then application. And so too often, you know, we kind of go from, well, if once they understand it, then now it's just accountability and applying it. 
um, but it disregards this notion of do they have the skills necessary to do some of these things? Um, and especially, you know, with, with food, um, not everyone's got the skills to actually make really delicious food from whole ingredients, right? And, and some so people don't have the desire. I am one of those people. I like, I can cook. There's no doubt about that. Sure. But my least favorite place to be in the world is in the kitchen. Yeah, like certain that is not there, right? <laughs> <laughs> but my husband loves it, loves it, loves it. So, yeah. you know, we had to, you know, we found that happy balance early on in our relationship. He knew nothing about food. He was so sick when I first met him, like mucus draining out of his face and his body and covered in eczema all over. And, you know, and it took a couple weeks of just cutting out some very obvious things like the dairy and the you know, cheap white French baguettes that, you know, he's French Canadian, you know, and, and a lot of these cheeses that he were eating that was contributing and all of a sudden that shifted and like no more mucus, no more eczema. And, but it took a long time because I had to um, shift him and like he had to develop the knowledge. So he had the skill in the kitchen, just needed the knowledge. Right. I had the knowledge, but did not want to have the skill in the kitchen. Right. So yeah. yeah, it definitely, I can, yeah, you need to really look at your strengths, work with your strengths, and then have somebody just help identify different ways of navigating, um, right. you know, your, your family situation. And, and the other thing that, you know, in lifestyle medicine is just the, the pillars are all interconnected, right? And so, um, you know, you, you, you look at it and, and that's where we, we, we get a pretty good sense of, of kind of where people are having issues. Um, but you also have to kind of start to figure out where, where you're going to tackle us. Right. And so, you know, often we'll see people who, who have a high degree of stress, um, and they're not sleeping well and they're, you know, they're not exercising and they're not eating well. And so you start to unravel a little bit and, and it's, you know, it's a little bit like, well, if we make a few changes to your nutrition, you'll have a little bit more energy and that'll get you out to do a bit more exercise, which will improve your sleep. And we'll get you sleeping and exercising. That'll really drive your stress down, which will give you more energy to go back and make those nutrition changes. Um, and so, so we kind of come all the way around, you know, the circle with those um, relationships. We all know that if, you know, if your relationship pillar uh, is shaken, everything else seems to fall apart too. So um, you know, spending that time with the, you know, with your family, spending his time with friends, having that time so important. And then it all comes back to purpose, right? If you, if you're not, don't have that strong sense of purpose, then uh, what's it all for? Um, and, and it's interesting because I'll see a lot of people that are in transitions and they, they are actually kind of low on the purpose side of things. Um, and I kind of say to them, you know, lifestyle, like these lifestyle measures, make them your purpose for a while. You know, it's like a little transition object, right? You know, it's I always kind of joke about, you know, the, the, the psychology of transition objects where, you know, a baby just wants to cling to mom. So we give the baby a blanket <laughs> and the baby learns to cling to the blanket and love that. And it's this transition object from that maternal love. You know, on purpose, I think, I think you can make a transition object being your, your, your lifestyle and saying, you know what? you know, maybe I don't have the strongest direction of where I want to go or what my life is for right now. Um, but, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put it all around, you know, getting, getting my health, uh, and taking control of my health. Um, and, and in, in our practice, what I've found is that people do that 
they really get into it, they enjoy it, and then stuff emerges and, and just all of a sudden they're down a new path and, 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 and it's a different world for them. Um, which, you know, again, kind of, you know, not what you typically do in the doctor's office, right? Like talking about people's purpose, but um, hugely, hugely rewarding to see somebody who, you know, may have come to you for one reason, but, but really takes control of their health and then their 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 life purpose uh, becomes you know transformed by it. And then through making their health their life purpose right now, often what I find is they actually discover their bigger purpose. Right, exactly. And, and this is the part that is so magical when you watch a client go, "Oh my gosh, I have been waiting for this moment my whole life," but they had to heal themselves first physically, and right. through that physical healing then this spiritual mental emotional healing takes place and this is the part that i'm just always so amazed when a you know client gives themselves that gift and yes temporarily you know we're not going to focus on that bigger purpose while we have to for example like you said i think it's a great analogy cling on to that baby blanket and that baby blanket is your health like your physical health it's your eating it's your sleeping it's your um, you know, moving your body and not feeling selfish for giving that to you and knowing that like that is your ultimate priority right now. And then you allow and the rest flows in, like it'll be like an aha moment. And I've seen that with a client who is an accountant who, you know, her dream was to paint and it wasn't until she was healed. And all of a sudden the painter, painting she was producing, like she, her, one of her first shows was in, in an art exhibit, you know, in Whistler. And when I saw the paint, I was like, this is not the woman that I was working with who like had like no painting skills before, but it was through healing herself that she discovered it. And I just, I have so many stories like that, that, you know, it's, um, it's really opening a gateway um, and watching that amazing innate human potential shine through at the end. And, and then it just, it's a gift that keeps on giving because when that person is inundated with the pain of the disease and the lack of energy of the disease and the mental anguish of the disease, then all of a sudden, once all that is lifted, you know, what they give to their families is profound as well, watching those relationships blossom. So, you know, they grow healthy communities, healthy families, and, you know, they're making healthy food for everybody. It's, it's honestly the gift that keeps on giving. For sure, yeah, it, that's what you've created with you, you know the wellness garage, hundred percent. It, it, it definitely pays forward, right? And yeah, and, um, yeah, and, and and you know it's it's um, so so I find with 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 what we're doing, um, you know, there's no one size fits all. It's all it's all individual. It's all figuring out kind of helping each person find their path and 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 you know accelerating that path and get to a place where they're really comfortable and all these things happen. Um, and I think you know the the hard part when you look at this is is um, is why does this happen to so many people that they 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 find themselves lost and without a path, and and that's something that I think you know as a society we really have to to look at is you know why is this happening and um, you know it's something that that I've given a lot of thought to and you've given a lot of thought to and and um, and you know. The only way we can change it is is kind of one by one, you know, uh, helping people find their path, or inspiring people so that the light bulb goes off and there's you know there there's a different way. Um, but there you know there there are some you know 
um, real challenges within within our society around kind of how we've structured things, and and that's unfortunate. Yeah, and I and the thing is, is that we're always going to have stressors in society from the way that it's structured. But and I know you've seen this that the resiliency that's built up when someone starts to eat well and move their body and sleep well, you develop a resiliency that you know you could be in a war-torn country, you could be in, you know, a city with tons of environmental noise and light pollution, you can be, you know, anywhere where the stressors are there and they're real, but you have the resiliency to be able to manage them, your brain and your neurons, and you have enough mitochondria that it's creating enough energy that you're able to think clearly, that you're able to take the appropriate actions in those, you know, very stressful environments. And I see that over and over again, where, um, you know, clients come to me and often, you know, they've worked with the counselors and the psychologists and the psychiatrists. And of course, then in a lot of times they're on the medications and then other chronic diseases set in. And, you know, it was their mental health, which was the first to affect them. But then they switch their diet. They, they shift their physiology shifts, their metabolism shifts. Um, they have more energy. And then all of a sudden, you know, one client in particular, like she wanted to leave her partner, quit her job, commit suicide. She was like, my life is over. I cannot live in this world anymore. And by making these changes, the things that you teach at the wellness garage, the things that we teach at Real to Heal, you know, nothing changed. She had the same job, same partner, you know, same house, same environment, but by shifting her body and developing that energy, all of a sudden, She's still with her partner 15 years later, got promoted in her job, uh, went back to school, uh, still living in the same house. And every time I see her, she's like, life is awesome. Nothing in her environment changed other than she shifted herself with food, with sleep, was able to get off the medications. And this is the part that I love is that it builds resiliency that, um, yeah, we are in this society with so much digital technology and so the stuff that, you know, kids see on TV. And I'm seeing like, definitely the kids are the most effective because they've been born into the world, into a world of glyphosate and heavy pesticide use. They've been born into the world of, you know, you know, intense pollution of all kinds, noise, light, digital, you know, pollution. And, you know, I'm seeing it affect these kids even more, but even for them, like the, these young young students that I work with, like they're able to develop their resiliency and the resiliency comes fast. It's yeah. not like once you make the commitment to do this, to work with you, work with me, work with anybody who's in lifestyle medicine that is teaching these beautiful principles, you know, you start to feel better really fast. And it's, and it's not a linear, like I feel awful and now I feel amazing. It's a roller coaster. Like, don't, right. like, we don't want to kid you here um, because you are making lifestyle changes and you're going to be making some heart changes. Um, and a lot of people often eat for comfort and they often eat for memory and they often eat for, um, you know, for to soothe or to celebrate all of these things. So they have to navigate their world now in this new context of eating or putting exercise first and movement first. And I get that. So don't think that it's like this, you know, you take off and you're flying, but I mean, initially when you get started, it almost feels like that because to go from no energy to having energy is pretty profound. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I think the, I think for me as a physician doing this, the biggest kind of 
aha was just the body's ability to heal itself. Uh, I didn't appreciate it. I honestly didn't. Right. And I remember uh, a patient who came in relatively early when we had opened and he was, he was on 200 units plus of insulin a day. He had an insulin pump. It had been on insulin for 15 years. Um, and, you know, and, and on an insulin pump for nine years, right? So it, it just was, you know, unbelievable levels of, you know, uh, of uh, and his diabetes was still not controlled, right? His A1C, I think it was over 10 when I first saw him. So my first question, you know, was, was you know, is he even producing you know, any insulin? Um, so I checked to see peptide and yeah, the, he's producing some on his own, but super low. And, um, and it was amazing watching this guy heal, right? And, you know, within the course of three weeks of just changing his nutrition, um, you know, if, I mean, when he first came in, he said, I'm, I'm in so much pain, it just hurts to move my joints. I can't possibly exercise. Um, and so we just started really pretty simply and, you know, working on his nutrition in three weeks, he came back, he goes, I don't know what's going on, but you know, a, I'm only on 50 units of insulin. So he knocked off 150 units in like three weeks. And then, and then it was really, you know, and I don't have this pain anymore. Right. And, and now I can exercise and, um, you know, and he was able to come off completely off of, you know, insulin and, um, I wouldn't have thought that was possible. Um, another, I had another fellow who, who came in and uh, again, uh, not as, not as dramatic, but you know, we, we got him off insulin in, in probably about three or four weeks. Um, and, you know, he just improving a lot. And, and, and he, he just, he just looked at me and said like, where were you nine years ago? You know, I wish I had seen you nine years ago. And I kind of laughed. I said, well, nine, nine years ago, I, I would have done what your doctor did, right? Like part of this is just this realization uh, that, you know, as we understand these mechanisms and really understand the root cause of it, then we're better able to guide people. And, um, and so, you know, just seeing that, that body's ability to heal itself is, is just, it's, it's, you know, it's profound. It's humbling from, a, you know, as a physician, it's just humbling to see it. Um, the other part that's kind of cool is, you know, you, you see this and you, you know, we, we do, you know, a fair amount of lab work to, to kind of figure out where people are. And then you see the lab work and we will we'll kind of code it in a heat map. So, you know, kind of red is the bad stuff and yellow is kind of in between and green is stuff that's optimal. And you see this color shift happen. Um, and again, that's so profound because, um, you know, we'll prescribe plenty of drugs and, and drugs can do some things, um, but you don't get anything like what you get when you make these kind of transformations and, um, and it's all possible there. Right. So, so I, yeah, I think that that body's innate resilience to, to, to really get back to being healthy. Um, it's still there even in, in kind of the most advanced kind of cases. Um, and, and, and really kind of for everybody, it's, it's, it's trying to, it's just discover that path. They'll, they're going to feel better and, and the path that they, you know, they can do that they feel better will help them kind of keep progressing. And so, yeah, that's, that's the trick. Yeah. I love um, that you brought this up because this is actually a really important point. Um, you know, for anybody who's listening to this, that's thinking like, I'll just do this on my own. Yeah, you definitely can. You can 
change up your diet, you can read a book, you can apply it. But one of the things we have to manage really carefully, especially most of my clients are on you know, a dozen to 36, 37, 40 meds um, all in one go. And we have to manage this so carefully because if you are on you know, blood pressure, lowering meds, cholesterol meds, antidepressants, if you're on uh, thyroid medications, infertility drugs, and um, if you're, um, you know, insulin, you, we have to manage this because your body heals so fast. And we're talking about in a matter of days, you may have to reduce your blood pressure lowering meds. This just happened with a client of mine. They're a couple diabetic, the doctor said, okay, the metformin and all the other drugs aren't working. We're going to have to put you on insulin now, 76 years old. Um, and, you know, for them, they, you know, and I said, listen, you need to either contact your doctor today, like as you're starting and let them know um, that you, they might have to titrate your meds down, bring the medical, the medical, um, the medicine dose down. And a lot of people don't take me seriously because they think, well, it can't happen that fast, right? And so then they go through a period of not feeling well. I'm like, why do I have so such low energy? And I'm like, you have to take your blood pressure. You have to do, you know, make sure you do your glucose readings and take that because it will happen fast. And so of course, blood pressure was coming down too low because it was already, you know, right. healed by the diet. And then to apply the medications on that's coming down too low. So, you know, and, and it's hard now, especially with COVID, like you might not get appointment for three, four weeks, that's too far, you know? So this is where I say call, uh, our nurses hotline is what, 411, 811? 811, yeah. Yeah, 811. And so to call and, you know, and talk to them because at least they can get a doctor on the phone pretty fast to let you know. And so, and that's exactly what happened. So we were able to get an appointment um, because it is scary. Like a lot of people who've been on medications, they listen to their doctors. They say, take two pills in the morning, two pills at night, and they're doing that. But, you know, you have to really advocate for your own health and then make sure your doctors know that this can happen. Because if you're not, if they're not trained in lifestyle medicine, functional medicine in, or knowledgeable about disease reversal and how fast it happens, they might say like, no, keep your medications where they're at. Whereas somebody like yourself or, you know, the doctors I often refer to, they'll be like, oh yeah, no time to lower them. And that's exactly what, you know, their doctor said time to come off, you know, um, all of the, the heart disease meds. And, you know, next we're working on the insulin and, yeah, so do not take that lightly for anybody who is listening to this because you can feel worse being on drugs that are bringing everything too low than you actually were feeling when you actually were just, you know, not making the lifestyle changes. Well, the, you know, the first principle in the Hippocratic Oath is do no harm. Um, and it is actually one of the, you know, so if people are going to go on to, you know, a very uh, strict and sudden change in, in terms of their nutrition and they're on insulin or they're on a sulfonylurea like, you know, glycoside or glyburide, um, you, you, you know, you can actually, um, they, they can actually get such low sugars that they could be hospitalized. So, um, you know, if, if I see somebody who's on insulin and, um, and they're planning to, to just jump all in, um, we generally lower and they're, and they're reasonably well controlled we generally lower their insulin by 50% on day one, right? Yeah. So it's just that dramatic. Um, and so let's just repeat that. Let's repeat that because I need people, our audience to understand that. You just said you will lower their insulin by 50% on day one. Right. 
so so really you know the 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 thing that um that you know we have to do here is to make sure that people don't get in trouble here is you know if you're so if you're taking insulin and you're going to make these kinds of changes you need to have a plan in place to 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 titrate down and so um you know working with your doctor working with your pharmacist um you, you can you can kind of put in, in place a plan to kind of de-prescribe on that direction. Um, and then the sulfonylureas, you know, the glycoside and glyburides, you know, they, they, they've been first-line drugs for a lot of years. So a lot of people are on them, they're cheap. Um, and so those drugs, um, you know, very, very commonly used. Um, and, and again, they, they keep working even when you've taken all the carbohydrate out of the diet or taken all the fast carbs out of the diet, they keep working so that you get these low sugars. Um, so they have to be, you know, adjusted. Um, the other diabetes medications, you know, are, are more forgiving and can be done kind of, you know, over time. Um, blood pressure medications for sure, right? And, 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 and again, you'll see that. Um, and different people, you know, there's such variation there. So you really have to, to watch it. So usually kind of there, uh, you know, when people are doing it on their own, you know, kind of the, you know, the, the, the thing is, is you can do this on your own and, and it's, you know, um, but you need to have a plan around your meds. You need to understand your meds well enough to know, okay, are there any on my list that could get me in trouble? Um, and, and then you need to approach your, 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 your doctor, your pharmacist to say, hey, I'm going to be doing this. Um, you can check your own sugar so you can see where they are. You can check your own blood pressure so you can see where it is. So, so you've got the tools to, to, to actually monitor it yourself. Um, but, but that's what you, you really do need to do. Yeah. And, and when they're checking their glucose, they should be checking it two hours after they've eaten, correct? Well, so it depends, right? So it, it tells you different things at different times, right? So your fasting sugar in the morning is always interesting because it tells, it tells you really how much insulin resistance is happening at the liver because all the glucose that you're checking is been produced by the liver overnight, right? You, you haven't eaten for you know, eight plus hours. Um, that glucose is coming from the liver and it should be normal if the liver would respond to insulin properly, right? So your fasting glucose really tells you about your liver and, and kind of what's happening there. Um, and then if you, you know, you, you can, you can kind of assess, you know, two hours after you can see, you know, has you have your sugars gone back to, to normal after your meal. Um, I like people sometimes checking it kind of, uh, an hour after how, how much did that meal make you spike? Right. Mm. Um, and this is where, you know, we're using continuous glucose monitoring uh, a lot now in our practice. Um, and even with pre-diabetics, not from the standpoint that they have much to worry about with high or low sugars, but more from the standpoint of the feedback around the meals that they have. Right. Um, and this is where, you know, it's, it's actually kind of important that, um, you know, you know, so we often will describe kind of, you know, eating this whole food approach and eating kind of foods that are, you know, are, are good and we're not concerned because there's low glycemic load. Um, but people are variable on glycemic load. And with the continuous glucose monitor, you know, you'll find that, you know, that, that, uh, you know, that, that, that uh, steel cut oats and blueberries that, you know, you just told somebody is absolutely fine. Um, lo and behold, some people will actually spike on that. And, 
and and you know they, that's just not going to work for them. So so again, kind of one of the things that we we find is 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 using kind of these data sources to help guide you on your path and and figure out okay, you know maybe there are particular foods that you know counterintuitively. Uh, don't work for you uh, from that standpoint, and 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 CGM's actually been a pretty interesting tool for that. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Um, I have a question for you around. I have so many questions for you um, that we're probably going to have to do this again. But um, I know that there's several companies that are starting, and and they're basically AI companies for. And, and not to replace the GP, but basically where there's going to be like this extensive monitoring and the ability to track, you know, um, individuals. And there's a company starting in Canada that looks, I mean, it really looks promising, you know, to help people essentially gather all this data on themselves and to really see and to even have these um, systems be able to manage the medications, manage the treatment plans, manage the, you know, almost to be able to diagnose, you know, treat and prescribe. And um, yeah, and so I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. Because we so, do, and I'll just jump in by saying, you know, as you were talking, what I love about what you're doing is you constantly reminded me of when, you know, doctors used to make home visits and they can see the family's environment. They can see, you know, what foods were on the counter. They can touch the patient. Right. They can see them. It was very, very different. They can communicate. They kind of got to know everybody. And then we moved to a model of, you know, how, moving into the office. And then we moved to computers where the doctors are just at the computers, not even looking at the patient anymore. And now we're moving into what looks like this, this you know, interesting AI world. Yeah, so so it's I mean it's interesting because uh, on the tech side there's a lot that we can do to kind of close the, the 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 loop in terms of feedback, right? So um, you know really kind of when we look at it, what we want to do is um, so if you take kind of our four plus two strategy for diabetes reversal. Um, so it's a strategy like any strategy, you then layer underneath it some tactics, right? So what tactics are we going to use? under this strategy. Um, and then you need feedback. Are these tactics working? Is the strategy working? And so the, the feedback will come from data and, and, and you can definitely automate a lot of this stuff, right? And in fact, one of the ways that we're able to deliver our kind of experience is, is that we automate a lot of the data part of it. Um, but that's not really why people come to see their doctor. Right, or I come to see you. Um, they need support, right? And they need perspective. And you know, one of the things that so when I look at the technology, I think it's great coming into healthcare um, if it allows the doctor to be a person and and do things that people do well, right? So um, you think about it. You know, computers do phenomenal jobs at tracking data and storing data and recording and and then drawing insights and. Um, there's all sorts of things that computers do way better than, than, than humans. Um, but humans are really good at, you know, compassion and empathy and understanding and creativity and dialogue. Um, and these are all the things that, you know, when you kind of look at what's kind of quote unquote wrong in healthcare, it's often these things are, have been pulled out of healthcare um, as we've gotten. So, so I kind of look at it from the perspective of, it, you know, um, uh, practitioners that are bringing kind of the technology in place so that 
it can take care of the jobs that tech's good at so that they can be human beings and, and do what human beings are good at. Um, human beings are really good at problem solving, right? Like we're better than computers at some of these just, just you know, media problems. Um, and so, so that's kind of, you know, um, I, I look at it and welcome it. Um, and, and, and I think that, you know, often I'll see people get really excited about the, the, um, the, the, the tech of tracking and I have to remind people, it's, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just like the map is not the territory. You have to, you know, you have to watch it. And, and one of my favorite ones, and I just posted this on, on our, our blog uh, today around sleep is, is, you know, if you don't have trouble falling asleep, right? And you don't have trouble staying asleep and you wake up and you feel rested and full of energy and you don't fall asleep, you know, easily, you know, during the day, you're sleeping well. Yeah, you don't need to track that, you know, and in fact, all you're going to do by tracking it is probably make yourself feel like you're ill because, you know, like my, you know, I, I have an aura ring and my REM sleep never registers. Right. And I just have like, you know, dreaming all night and kind of doesn't register REM sleep. And so on that metric, I, I you know, it's in the red. Right. And so, you know, it's simply just not that accurate. Right. Um, and so again, kind of, well, I, yeah, I feel really good. And so, so, so you have to kind of, you have to, 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 to watch that. And, and I think that perspective is, is hugely important. Um, and then we often as individuals don't have good perspective, right? So there's a reason why doctors need doctors for themselves because they don't have the perspective. They got the knowledge. Yeah. But, you know, like doctors are either, you know, either the biggest hypochondriacs or they simply deny that there's anything wrong. Right. And yeah. so you, you need somebody else sometimes there to kind of tap you on the shoulder and go, you know, that's what's going on. Right. And, and uh, people need people. Right. So. So, yeah, I, I think the technology, I think it's 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 welcoming if it creates more people time. And you know, Eric Topol, uh, who is kind of a you know digital health guru, you know, he's really pointing to that that kind of you know, world where doctors actually get freed by the technology to be doctors again and, and not kind of scribes typing into the computer. Yeah, no, definitely. And we need that because, you know, often we've seen where, you know, really, really important symptoms are missed and, you know, often that can come with like even just shaking the patient's hand or putting a hand on the shoulder and feeling if their skin is clammy or, you know, registering if their skin looks a bit blue or gray or, you know, whatever it is and looking into their eyes. There's so many little tiny pieces that could be um, registered. I think the most important one is just that trust, right? By looking into somebody's eyes, seeing them, um, letting them know that they've been seen and that it is a safe place to be able to, you know, maybe share like, hey, you know what, I actually am not sleeping well, or I'm not in a great relationship or whatever that is. But, you know, you're often not going to get that without making that eye contact and, you know, sometimes physical contact. And it's what I love about my kids' school. You know, they go to Waldorf and every single morning the teacher stands at the front door and not a single student gets passed without shaking the teacher's hand, they look them in the eyes and they say, how is your morning going so far? And mm -hmm. it's just so beautiful because these like sweet kids are able to say like, oh, it was a tough morning or I, you know, whatever it was. And then the teacher gets a sense of, you know, where they're at. But what happens is they make that connection. The child is seen and sometimes only seen once that day, right? Yeah. 
and for patients as well, for especially, you know, we're in the middle of COVID, it could be the only time that that person is seen is when they go to the doctor's office and that doctor can look at them in the eye. So I agree with you all for the AI technology, if it allows physicians to be more human. Um, and, and physicians are human. And I think they need the connection as well to individuals and they can develop incredible relationships with their patients too, even if it's only seven and a half minutes, for sure. <laughs> well, and it, you know, it's, it's, it's really true. Like that, you know, physician burnout is, is um, you know, is very real. In fact, physicians have far higher rates of suicide than, than most other professions. And, um, and it's, it's devastating to see that. And, um, one of the things I think um, that practicing lifestyle medicine gives back to physicians is it's that human connection of like, so all I do is help people find their own way to, to do the things, right? I, I can't do it. I'm not giving them pills to do it. They're, they're, I'm simply helping them find their own path and they, they make these changes. But when people come in having transformed their, their health and their lives, um, the energy that comes back to the physician is so gratifying and, and it's, it's, um, you know, it's why, you know, it's why we went to med school, right? It's why we're doing this. And, um, and unfortunately that gets lost along the way in, you know, the realities of, of these, you know, seven minute visits and typing everything into the computer and kind of dealing with the, the insurance forms and dealing kind of with, you know, multiple medications, it's, you know, it can be a very complex job that you don't get a lot of gratification from, um, and, and very stressful. Um, and, and so, you know, it gives back that way. Yeah. And you are ultimately, and I've seen that from, you know, med students that have, you know, I've taught, um, you know, physicians that have been in practice for 25 years that I've taught. And, you know, and I've seen that burnout firsthand. I've been at conferences where, you know, physicians are showing me the, the scars on their wrists from a few years earlier. And they, it's exactly what you said. They went into healthcare because they wanted to provide health to people. And then you have physicians that are like, okay, well, that's not working. So I want to bring the care back in. So they develop their practice all around care, but they're potentially missing you know, many of the elements that you provide at the wellness garage, whether it's, you know, the nutrition or, you know, talking about sleep and all of that. So meanwhile, they're caring for their patients, but then health is still being missed. What I see you doing is you're providing the health and the care that truly is meant to be part of our healthcare system. And you're showing that it can be done um, through the model that you created. And I'm, I'm assuming like, if you had people that are like, please franchise, have you thought about that model? Yeah. Well, it's funny, you know, the, uh, the, um, with COVID, you know, having the physical spaces as, as, as you know, has been very challenging, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so we're very thankful we've been able to develop the virtual side of things. Um, so one of the things that we are doing is, is taking our virtual, our diabetes four plus two program and um, in, in, uh, we've virtualized it and, and turning it into something that can be available for um, anybody across the country uh, and getting multiple physicians and, and, and dietitians to be able to practice in this, in this you know, virtual practice um, with all the tools that we've created. Um, like for all the data collection and everything. 
Yeah. And yeah. will there be, when you're doing this, will there be a central hub for the data as well that you'll be able to analyze as? Yeah, so, so what, I mean, one of the intriguing parts of this is, is you know, um, again, like we, so when we do the wellness quotient, one of the metrics there is a carbohydrate tolerance score um, and it correlates so closely with insulin resistance. And, and so in a way you just need to ask those questions and you actually know what the lab results are gonna be. Um, so the, you know, so, so having kind of that data and being able to kind of compare that data, I think is, is, is really useful. Um, but ultimately, you know, what we try to do is use, use the data to improve our own practice so we're better at it, um, but, but use it to, to help that person understand and kind of give them that feedback, you know, are the tactics that they're using working and then is the strategy overall working? And yeah. kind of uh, and, and go from there. Yeah, that's the that's the only one thing that if you aren't doing it already or thought about doing it, it's to have that you know the population studies be done now within the context of your four plus two program around diabetes because and then publishing that because that's ultimately you know what we just need to keep doing is being able to show a lot of um, you know government bodies and you know people who are outsourcing often to potentially the wrong, I shouldn't say the wrong researchers. I mean, you know, every, the data you're gonna get back is dependent on the questions that you're asking. So we need to ask different questions, um, you know, and, and obviously design different studies. You know, one of the questions being around the actual reversal of the disease versus the management of the disease. And um, that's the part where I find that quite interesting because if you are able to have your program in the hands of many physicians across Canada or even internationally, then, you know, being able to collect that data, I mean, it's, it's going to speak for itself. So um, the one question I do have, because I teach the opposite to my clients. So my clients are on a high carb program for diabetes reversal, and we get probably very similar results, um, you know, and we're high carb, low fat, high fiber, um, and we get, you know, within the same amount of time, you know, A1C levels are coming down three months in, we're seeing it um, uh, for like a few days in, a few weeks in, and then we're always obviously going back for more lab work. Um, you know, and glucose readings are coming back amazingly, despite the fact that they're actually consuming um, high carb foods. So I'm curious for you, because you're also an endurance athlete and you're a cyclist and uh, a runner. A runner. Yeah. Um, are you, do you practice low carb in your life or? Yeah. So, so let me kind of be really kind of clear here. Um, you know, low carb, high fat can work. Uh, yeah. low fat, high carb can work. Okay. Uh, medium carb, medium fat can work. What doesn't work is high carb, high fat. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. when you look at most people's diet, that's the problem. Right. So we tend to get, you know, from nutrition in our macros, you know, we, we, our brains seem to control our protein intake pretty well. Um, you know, there's a great Kevin Hall study where he, um, so he's a NIH researcher who uh, did this um, study in the metabolic wards where they measure everything. Um, and, and so, you know, he took a group of people, I think it was 20 people, and half the group started with 14 days on the ultra processed food diet and they could eat ad libitum. So they could basically add a buffet table of, of the ultra processed food. And then they switched over to, to a whole food uh, approach, right? 
uh, and the other half started with whole foods and then flipped over to the ultra processed foods. So each person was their own control in this study. What he found simply was that people overate when they were at the ultra processed food stage, they overate by 500 calories per day and almost evenly divided between overeating on carbs and overeating on fat. And so protein actually was re remarkably stable. Um, and what he also saw, showed was, was essentially if you, when they're eating the whole food approach, um, they're uh, basically their ghrelin levels. So their kind of appetite stimulating hormone levels were decreased. Um, their leptin levels were increased. Um, their PYY, which is a satiation hormone from your gut was increased. So basically all their, uh, all the hormones that are associated with appetite and satiation, uh, had moved in a direction that would keep people from eating. Right. Um, and so really one of the things that you, you, you kind of realize is this ultra processed food is it's hacking our body, right? So it's hacking our system so that we don't actually detect the energy that's in and we overeat. Yeah. Um, and so that's where, you know, I'm just not very dogmatic about it. And, and in fact, you know, there's another start study by Chris Gardner at Stanford, where they look at it, um, they basically looked at, you know, well-constructed, low carb, high fat, well-constructed, you know, low fat, uh, you know, high carb. Um, and there was actually equal weight loss between both groups. Some people did well on one approach. Some people did well on the other approach. Some people didn't do well in one approach. And so there was variability, which you see across the board. So I, I kind of find for what I look at is, is what's going to work for you. And, um, and so the first part is, you know, we've got to get rid of that ultra processed food, right? Yeah, so if we get the ultra processed food out, um, and, and then by and large, it's a little bit what people will, will gravitate towards. Um, and so, so I, I end up being not very prescriptive around this, which is kind of funny being a doctor and not being prescriptive. Yeah. Um, I'm really looking for, you know, what's the eating pattern that you're going to be most comfortable with. If we, if we step back and look at research, the best research out there from a medical perspective on diets is Mediterranean diets, right? And Mediterranean diet is reasonably high in fat. It's actually, you know, it's got lots of veg in there. There's lots of healthy carbs in there. There's a bit of fish in there. Um, there's some wine in there. Um, you know, that's actually kind of the best evidence out there. Um, so to me, it, you know, the issue, the, these diets are just coming out of the wrong direction, right? And so, um, you know, you go whole food. Now, predominantly, if you go whole food plant-based, you're probably going to end up with a higher amount of carbohydrate and a bit lower amount of fat. Um, and, and, and that's going to be just fine. Right. And, and, uh, and then again, you can, you'll see, right. Some people don't satiate as well and that you end up increasing the fat a little bit in that context. Um, so, so it, 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 I find you have to measure it that way. Um, for myself, you know, I've been plant-based, well, pescatarian. So, uh, so I eat fish you know, once or twice a week. Um, and that's been kind of the way I've been for 30 years. Um, I did go low carb for a while and, um, and that was pretty interesting. Um, you know, I had a period in my life where I was quite a bit heavier. So, um, I had gained a bunch of weight, uh, and, you know, so right now I weigh about 175 pounds of six, two, um, that's what I was in med school. Um, 
but I went up to almost well 217. Um, so I like I had 40 plus pounds on my current frame. Was that because uh, of med school? No, this was this this was three kids in four years plus a startup company. Right. Yeah, I did the same. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So I gained the weight and, um, and, and being a runner, I just thought, well, I'll run it off and, and that worked for a little bit. So I got the weight down to like 205. And then, uh, and then I realized I had to kind of pay more attention to kind of just, you know, how much I was eating. And, and so that got my weight down to 190. Um, when I went low carb for a while, what was quite amazing for me was I dropped from 190 to 175 like very quickly um and 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 you know and i don't have a lot of explanation for it um because i wasn't eating all that poorly but i when i was when i was prior to that i would keep i'd keep veering up and i keep kind of having to watch it when i went low carb for that period of time it 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 some there's clearly a metabolic switch that flipped for me even right. though no insulin resistance. There's nothing on my blood work that would give me any guidance that way. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then since then, I've really, you know, I've I've migrated back to my normal, but I've stayed the same way. So, um, so the low carb was actually pretty useful from the standpoint of of uh, of flipping some some internal set point um, that is just stuck. And 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 so you know that that's worked for me. Um, you know, what I don't like about low carb, high fat approaches is, is, uh, as I said, at the beginning of this is, is, you know, food quality, I worry about. And then the other thing I think people really do want to pay attention to is what's happening with their lipid panels. Um, cause we sometimes will see people, their LDL cholesterol goes really high. And then you got to be sure that you're, you're, you, you get your doctor to check the ApoB 100 so that you know what, you know, how much, how many particles there are because yeah. that's going to drive cardiovascular risk. Um, but yeah, so, so, you know, not, I, I think, you know, if I'm ideologic about anything, it's, it's, it's whole foods. Yeah. Um, myself and, as well. yeah. Yeah. And then navigate within that um, and, and see what you feel, feel well on. Um, and I love that you experimented too, because, you know, you were in a healthy state, but, you know, recognize you gained the weight and then you started to change things. And, recognized, you know, that, okay, you can only take yourself that far, that far, and then you plateau. And then, you know, you're like, okay, I'm going to try something else. When you stick in the context of whole foods, you know, it's, it's okay to experiment that way. Um, right. When you have a relatively healthy body, or even if you are, um, I mean, even within the work that you're doing, like you're saying, you look at the individual and sometimes people are going to have a little bit more higher fat or a little bit more higher carbs or lower. Um, but it, it's important for um, as individuals are out there and finding all of these, you know, claims that are being made. You have to look into them because one of the things that I, I always get mesmerized by the before and after pictures on Instagram, I'm like, how do these people do it? Like I'm out there and I'm biking 15 hours a week and running like, you know, 30, 40 K a week. And it's like, how did they like get so toned and muscular? And sometimes I find that they did have bariatric surgery, you know, and, you know, they definitely worked hard. Like they, all their pictures proved that they started moving their body and that they started changing their diet. But then also, yes, they did have surgery as well. So it's really important for people to see that for me, surgery, you know, I mean, I'm not in a position to need surgery, but um, I would, like to experiment with lots of different ways before maybe resorting to surgery 
um, because we know the risk, right, of being in the hospital and, and being in a situation. There's many risks that come with just having to get surgery. So just for people out there, know that there are many approaches. You can use your body as a living laboratory, do it under the care of a qualified physician. So when I say qualified, yes, they might have their license as a medical practitioner, but there is a huge difference between somebody that practices, you know, like Brendan and somebody who might say, oh, your diet has nothing to do with your illness or you can't reverse your disease. So if the person is coming to you saying you can't reverse the disease, never been done, never been proven. I've heard that from many physicians um, that, you know, there's many physicians out there. So I often say fire that one physician and go hire another one, probably somebody like the, you know, Brendan and his team at Wellness Garage, um, because of the fact that, you know, you can get incredible results. Your bodies are so amazing and ultimately they do want to heal and you just need to find the right balance for yourself. Yeah. And, and everyone's path is different, right? And, and that's kind of where you, you have to kind of look in and try to find your path. And sometimes you find it by doing kind of, you know, thoughtful experiments and uh, trying, you know, trying to eat a different way or trying different things. Um, and, you know, and, and it is really useful to do that with kind of someone else to give you perspective. Um, problem sometimes when we do things on our own and, and myself included is we don't really remember what exactly we started doing this for or exactly. like it's, it's amazing how you can find yourself you know uh you know why am i taking this supplement that i decided to take and what do i think it's supposed to be doing and how am i measuring it um generally when you work with somebody that they'll 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 help you with that perspective they'll remind you of that perspective and and uh, and ultimately help you find the path that works for you. Um, and, and, and that's all that counts, right? Is, is that, you, you know, you feel good, you feel healthy, you've got, you're full of energy um, and, you know, your symptoms go away. Yeah. And then you won't have to be, feel like a ping pong, you know, with every new marketing ad that comes out for the next, next diet or the next supplement or the next cleanse or the next, whatever it is. Once you find what works for you, then you just stick with it. And right. you can assess it yourself if you're sleeping well, if you're pooping well, if your libido's there, if you know, you're know you able to move your body, if things feel good. I mean, you're ultimately going to be the best judge of that, um, your, your overall total health. I can keep talking to you forever, but mm -hmm. I know that you have work to do um, and get back to. And I want to thank you very much for uh, just coming on the podcast and sharing your knowledge because you taking your time out of the day to be able to share stories of your patient's healing, to be able to inspire other physicians to rethink the practices that they have or the practices that they work within. Um, you know, this is really truly how we are going to change our communities and support the most amount of people. And it's through individuals like yourself that take the time to share their stories. So thank you. It's cool. It's been really fun having the conversation and I'm sure we could talk for another hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, no, a hundred percent. We're going to have to have you on the show again. I didn't dive as much into, um, you know, a lot of the science behind everything I love. I, and, and I, for me, I love it. Like let's get in and let's talk about mitochondria and what's happening in relationship to, um, you know, foods and, and these medications and so on, but we'll, we can definitely have you back on the show where we can, you know, just take people further in um, so that they can understand their bodies more and how their bodies work. Um, and then also just diving more into like 
what do some of these meals look like? But until then, everyone who's listening, please, Brendan, tell them where they can find you. Yeah, so the easiest place is just at our website, wellnessgarage.ca. Um, so you'll see all our programs there and you can get in touch with us and learn more about our, our, our what we do. Um, we're on Facebook, Wellness Garage, and uh, we're also on Twitter. Um, and I'm personally on Twitter at Burnwolf. Uh, so you can follow Perfect. me. We'll put all of that in the show notes. Now, if somebody is not based in Canada, we have a lot of listeners that are international can they also work with you? Yeah, so we do when when we're working with people outside of the country or really outside of BC um, that want to work with me directly. Uh, I'll do something called medical coaching. So we we just you know have an agreement where I'm not providing the primary care or the medical information, but I'm really coaching you uh, around the lifestyle behaviors. Um, and so I've done that with a, a whole number of people, kind of from all over. Um, and it's super effective. Usually what, what happens is they've got a, a, you know, a doc that's more than happy to kind of, you know, make the adjustments to, to meds or order, order labs um, and really just kind of helping people uh, apply the strategy. So, so that's an option as well. And so if you do, uh, you know, do want to work with me that way, um, you know, as you contact us, just let, let us know and we can kind of set that up as well. Amazing. Amazing. Well, I look forward to just watching your progress and, you know, all of the amazing programs. You have an incredible site, lots of brilliant resources. I have to thank you for, you know, consolidating all of that and making it available to so many people, um, especially in this world where everybody's marketing something or the other. I mean, and you were just providing it, like you said, for free, which is awesome. So please head over to the Wellness Garage website and check out all those incredible resources. And also, share those resources with your physicians because your physicians might not have heard that, you know, about lifestyle medicine. They might not yet have heard about functional medicine. Uh, they might not know that chronic diseases can be reversed. And, you know, by starting at the wellness garage, it's a very good deep dive into all of that incredible knowledge that's going to save lots of people's lives. So thanks for doing all of that. All right. Thanks, Nicole. Amazing. Hi, everyone. As promised, another great show on our Eat Real to Heal podcast. Please share this with others and get on our mailing list over at richerhealth.ca and at nicoletteriche.com because you want to know about all of the incredible offerings we have coming up in 2021 and 2022. We are about to launch all new programs that are so exciting and that are proven to get you results in reversing your chronic diseases and achieving your optimum health in helping you realize your true peak potential so that you can accomplish anything and everything that you want to accomplish in your life. But first, we got to get those chronic diseases under control and reversed and eliminated so that you can be liberated from the pain of your illness, from the lethargy, from the, and all the other emotions and feelings, physical, spiritual, and mental, emotional that come with having a chronic disease. So that's what we're about at Eat Real to Heal and the podcast and Richer Health um, and everything we do with all our other companies. So thanks for being with us and stay tuned for the next episode on our show. Bye everyone. <laughs>